This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. And you think, if I'm going to be a rock star, how do I find good people in my corner? Now you've reframed the whole discussion, Andy, in a way where you're going to avoid all those idiots and morons. You're going to ask the right questions and you're going to hire the best help to be uh, on your team. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Thank you for being here, everybody. Taking advantage of the stock market is an incredible way to build wealth for your family. By investing in the market, you're forcing your money to work for you. Your money starts to make you money, which is great. But where do we start? Can we do this ourselves? Should we turn to a financial advisor? How do I know if this financial advisor is a good one or somebody who's just out to sell me products? I... Our guest today, Joe Selcihai, is going to help us with this exact conundrum. Joe is a former financial advisor from Ameriprise. He spent 16 years in the industry, so it's fair to say that he has a a bit of knowledge uh, when it comes to the financial advising world. As a money expert, he's been featured in national publications like Chicago Sun-Times, Detroit News, CNBC.com, WallStreetJournal.com. He's everywhere, everybody. <laughs> Lately, you'd recognize Joe as the host of the multi-award winning podcast, The Stacking Benjamin Show. And like me, he's also a Detroit native. Welcome to the show, Joe. Dude, am I really here? You're here. You're here. It's so good to be here. I'm so happy. Well, thanks so much for being here, man. I appreciate it. Where, where did you grow up in Detroit, by the way? So I, did, I actually grew up in Kalamazoo, Kalamazoo and cool. then uh, went to Michigan State yep. and so moved to Howell and then uh, slid over and uh, lived when I was doing Detroit media and had my practice. My practice was in first in Auburn Hills and then in Troy. And then uh, we and for people not in the Detroit area, they're like, <laughs> I don't know any of these towns. I got no idea. But Andy and I are sitting here nodding our heads. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I still own a house in Beverly Hills. Oh, wow. So. That is a stone's throw from where I live. Yeah. I work in Auburn Hills and my dad, uh, grew up, uh, or my dad worked in the automotive industry. I understand your, your father worked for General Motors too. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. You know, we got a little similar background going on here. You know, I know you're in Texarkana now, but, uh, you know, Detroit at heart, hopefully. <laughs> well, it is funny because people rip on Detroit, not that this is the Detroit podcast, but, but people rip on Detroit, like my brother-in-law or Sometimes people here in Texarkana, like, ooh, Detroit. And you know what? For you and I being from Detroit, like we can we can rip Detroit a little bit mm-hmm. because we love it. We appreciate it. People from other towns to it were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You you don't do that, man. Absolutely. Do now we have, we have a sense of pride about Detroit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah. cool. So how, how did you get your start in financial advising? So I was uh, – I was working in a totally different field. I was working for a water treatment company and my background is English creative writing, which is why I was working for a water treatment company because <laughs> unless I'm going to be the next American novelist, there's nothing going on there. And so I I got this call from a finance major friend of mine who'd recently started with this company, IDS. And, and the quote was, Andy, he said, we don't normally hire people like you, but... <laughs> I think you'd be really good at this. 
And, and it's because I grew up in farm country. I didn't even actually grow up in Kalamazoo. I've been in this little town called Vicksburg, which is south of Kalamazoo. So I grew up in farm country, worked in the cornfields, and I had no idea what an engineer was. I thought an engineer was just the dude that drove the train. But I've learned <laughs> since then that I have an engineer personality, and I love logistics. I love how things come together. And uh, finance, like Wall Street, the original Wall Street movie was my favorite movie. And so I was, I thought being a financial planner was all about like these tricks that everybody knows that, that these guys would come on TV. You know, you see these people like Jean Chatsky on TV and she's always telling you all these cool little things to do with your money. And I thought, Oh, that's cool. I want to be that person. So I, uh, so I took him up on it. I got my licenses and uh, started working as a financial advisor. And that's when I found out that for real financial advisors, this is a long time ago, but, but they were just hockey mutual funds and life insurance. Mm. <laughs> like, like, and if I sold you a nice loaded fund, which means there's a big fat fee to buy it and a permanent life insurance policy that makes me a nice commission, maybe some annuities on top of it is the cherry on top. Uh, then, then man, I'm making some money and my clients hopefully are doing okay too, but hopefully doing okay too was the afterthought, hmm. right? Yeah. And the bad news was I was a guy also that in college, I went to the Citadel first, the military college of South Carolina, then back to Michigan state. We'll fill in Joe's bio as we go. <laughs> go, go. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, what, what, when I was at the Citadel, I walk in like my first week and here I am at a military school. I walk into this, this, the, our student union, Mark Clark hall, and they have this table there where they're giving away American express cards, mm. you know, and maybe to get a blanket, I think was the deal. And so I walk in there and I sign up for my free blanket. And of course I get my American express card. I don't know crap about money cause we never talk about it in our family. Mm. And within 90 days I had that baby taken away. So I had my credit completely destroyed within 90 days, knew nothing about money. And yet I'm working as a financial planner, working my way out of debt. Just, uh, yeah. Yeah. The way they hire people in that industry. I know we'll get into that. I'm sure yeah. later, but, uh, yeah. So that's how I started. How about that? Well, so, so you were saying that, uh, back in, back in college, you had a little rough time with, with the finances. So even when you were starting your financial advising career, you were still kind of on a rocky path with the finances, you think? Absolutely. Oh, and yeah. I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I was way too far in debt when I started to, uh, to climb back out of it quickly. I also spent the second year of my career and I've written about this all over the place where I made almost no money because of some things that happened, um, uh, called a chargeback, which means I <laughs> sold a high commission product to a person. And then about six months later, they decided it wasn't for them. And they, they, they reversed all of it. And I owed the company I was with at that time, it was American express because IDS got sold to American express, then got spun off to be Ameriprise. Um, I owed them a bunch of money. Wow. And so for a year, I didn't make any money. My wife was still in school. So we had a year with almost no income, which was really cool. Got to learn how collections worked. So they gave you the commission and then retroactively said, got to give it back to us. Yes. Now the deal was the guy was from Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, the client was from Japan and uh, went back to Japan and these things, they were insurance products and they had what's called a 10 day free look. Well, this was a six month free look because he bought the stuff, went to Japan for six months, came back. I gave him the stuff. He signed for it. American express had already paid me for all of this stuff. And, uh, 
And yeah, he said, yeah, I don't want it within 10 days. It all came back. But for me, for me, I had used it to pay off all my debt. I, I didn't leave any of it in an emergency fund. These are some key lessons, by the way. This is why you don't use every dollar to pay off your debt. <laughs> Because you need to leave some as an emergency fund. And I see people that do this. They pay off their debt and they have no emergency fund. And then the second the bufflers drag it behind the car, of course, where do they have to go for money? Credit card. Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and the problem is, as you know, the problem is the behavior, right? Mm-hmm. So people go, well, this money sits in an emergency fund, Joe, and it earns 1% or less. I mean, that's horrible. Or maybe if you're if you're using Beam or something, maybe you're getting 3%, but still it's it's horrible interest rate. So, uh, so why would I leave money there versus pay off this 20% credit card? Well, we can't change the behavior. The only way to change the behavior is when there's an emergency to pay cash Hmm. and then to get used to cash instead of that thing. So, um, anyway, I learned that the hard way I paid off all my debt. I had absolutely no cash and then, uh, had to immediately go back into tons of debt. So, so, so we've covered some things that you maybe disliked about your financial advising career there. <laughs> Were there any, was there anything about that time that you, you really enjoyed or, or I guess the financial advising uh, industry in general while you were there? Oh, I loved it. I mean, I loved helping people with their money. Uh, I, I, I did think there was this this whole thing that, especially with a new advisor, you don't know what's going on in their life. My clients had no idea what financial trouble I was in. And think about that. Like, if I wasn't a if I wasn't a human being that cared as much about other people as I did about myself, I I, I could have done some bad stuff, you know, just to make myself some more money. Yeah. Which which it's horrible that that can still happen today to people. So, uh, but what I loved, I loved meeting with people and helping them solve their problems. I love the fact that because most families don't talk about their money, that the two times a year they met with me and the couple phone calls, few phone calls we'd had between those times felt like they were the only times they actually did talk about money. Like I felt like there were some people that after our meeting, they were going home, baby, and they were having some great sex. Like it, <laughs> it was, it was going to be a fantastic night at their house because they were, you could see it in their eyes that they're talking about their dreams. They're talking about the stuff that they love. And they're finally, instead of just dealing with the day-to-day responsibilities of the kids, the marriage and that stuff, they're actually creating this family plan together. Mm. And that was just so cool. And then later in my career, as I saw these people actually meet those goals was even really cool. You know, somebody that had a goal that was 10, 15 years off. And later in my career, seeing some of my early clients reach those goals and being able to high five them, um, or take them out to dinner or, or, you know, uh, host a retirement party for them. We did that quite a few times. That was always so great. It was so great to be a part of those moments. That's great. So helping families reach their goals and have more sex. That's great. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> people never think that about, people never think that about me. Like I never, I never thought that that face would help people would help me get more sex. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Well, it's great. So how did you, uh, how and why did you transition out of this role? You know, I had this uh, this mentor, a guy named uh, Chris, who was a fantastic mentor. He's actually a couple of years younger than me, and it was it was funny because so uh, my the, the way the way things worked at, at our company was that I owned my business um, and I was a franchise mm-hmm. of Ameriprise. So okay. I was independent, but Ameriprise had this structure, right? That because I was a franchise, there was a guy that looked into all the franchisees and made sure I, on the least 
note that we were actually doing brand standard stuff, meaning that Ameriprise is a certain thing they promise their customers. Am I doing all that stuff? And that's what that's who Chris was. But he took his job very seriously. And for a bunch of us, he would show us how to be even better for our clients, right? How to be more thorough, how to get how to tweak a financial plan in ways that we didn't know. And he was one of these people that you call a connector in your life. If he didn't know it, he would connect me. Like if if Chris knew you and he knew me, mm-hmm. he'd say, Oh, Joe, you got to talk to Andy about this. And there was there was a lot of times there was nothing in it for him. He was just a guy that knew that uh, that if he put the two of us in a room and there's nothing in it for him, there ended up being a lot of stuff in it for him. But he did something nobody in the financial services industry ever does. Usually when you leave a company, you leave at midnight with the client files. And then the next morning, it's like that scene from Jerry Maguire for people that have seen that where you're calling the client and he's calling the client and everybody's trying to get the client. Taking he the didn't do that. Fish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. He said that uh, th- that he was leaving the company, wrote a letter to everybody, said he was leaving. And he said, listen, I'm working 14 hour days. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know this. I know that I only get one chance to live my this life. And if I spend it doing something that's close, but not completely it, I feel like it's a, a life wasted. Hmm. So I really, before I'm too old and he was 30 six when he made this move. I think he was 36 in that age range. He said, if I, if, if I make this move now, I've got a lot of time to do all the other things. And he used a phrase in that he said to climb more mountains. I have other mountains I want to climb. And what's cool about Chris is after he wrote that note, he went and climbed Mount Everest twice. Um, he literally, uh, climbed mountains and for me and a bunch of people like me that were friends with Chris, it really hit us hard. So here I was getting ready to turn 40 and I thought, I like this. I don't love all of it. I've got all these other things I want to do. I've made a nice sum of money. By then I turned around my financial picture. I turned around my life uh, financially. I would uh, I built this career. I had done a lot of things in the local media. I was on this Detroit TV station, Channel 7, which is the, the number one news uh, in Detroit. Um, so I'd done all these cool things. I'm like, you know what? It's time. It's a good time. I got plenty of time to do something else now. So, um, I sold my business and, uh, went back to school to become a high school teacher, uh, which for those of you that know teachers, you don't do that for money. (laughs) You, You do that because you love it. So I, I started down that path and, uh, in, in shorts and a t-shirt, number one, I was really bored in class. Number two was I was taught and teachers are going to nod their heads at this. I was taught that you're going to be fighting administration a lot of the time. Mm. And so I worried about that. And at the same time, because I'd done all this PR stuff, I had all these PR people saying, hey, can you write the script for me? I'll pay you X amount of money. Can you write my client newsletter, my financial planner friends? Can you write my client newsletter? So by the way, if you ever get a client newsletter that says that, that your advisor and his family took a trip uh, in Michigan, we call it, up north. Um, they took a trip up north to uh, whatever spot. And sitting around the campfire with my kids reminds me of diversification. <laughs> like that was written by a guy like me. <laughs> totally. It's funny. My financial planner friends were like, I have so much fun with my family in my newsletter in that my, I've never in my had. my fake world. <laughs> yes. Yes. The, uh, this world. So uh, uh, I started writing that stuff. And then I started doing the math. And I'm still teaching people, but I'm teaching them just about money. Hmm. 
and I'm making as much money per hour as a first year teacher is. And my kids at that time were, had just started high school. And so I could be there for them to, to help them get off to school. And then after school and hang out with my kids before they went away, uh, which my kids are now 22. Um, so, uh, I was able to do all that. So I then transitioned to do a blog, which later became the Stacky Benjamin show. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, I love the show and, uh, and you've, been awarded multiple multiple times so you guys are doing incredible work there and uh, we'll have to put some uh we'll put a link in the show notes for everybody to check that out um as as you've made this transition from financial advising to what it sounds like joe is is becoming a teacher right yes you said you're a you were a physical teacher but you really wanted to keep teaching and helping people so if we could do that today take the knowledge that you've gained from being in the financial advising industry and continue to teach folks about the ins and outs of maybe working with a financial advisor. I think that would uh, hit on the heart of what you've been trying to do with your, your career as of late. Is that cool with you? No, that'd be great because nobody ever gets to see the other side, right? Absolutely. You go in to beat with a financial advisor, you're you're worried, you've got no idea how you fit in. The most the most often asked question was from people, where do I fit? Was where do I fit? Mm-hmm. And then people wonder, should I get one? Should I not get one? You know? Yeah. Um, and obviously the advisor is usually gonna say, No, you should get one. <laughs> <laughs> right? So I'm happy to do that. Cool. Excellent. Well, well we're we're gonna dive into that a little bit today. So there's there is a bit of, of sort of mistrust in the industry. I, I was reading this uh, poll in USA Today that said 65% of respondents say that they mistrust the financial services industry to some degree. And in fact, only 2% of respondents claim to trust financial advi- advisors a lot, while 15% say they trust them a little. And this is obviously not good for financial advisors and the, and the clients they serve. Why do, you, why do you think that's the case as of late uh, where, where, is this, where this mistrust is, is taking place? So it's funny, a lot of people single out financial advisors, but I'm going to draw a correlation that I'm going to stick to throughout, which is I want an advisor who's like my either my uh, my coach or is my uh, let's say they're my agent. Um, I love the show Entourage. I don't know if anybody listening's watched Entourage, but I love this guy, Ari, who's the agent for uh, the main character in there. And if you think about your, your goal is to be a rock star. If I've got this agent whose job it is to make sure that I avoid pitfalls and I get the right opportunities, I think that's what a good financial advisor does. But anybody can call themselves an agent. Anybody can call themselves a financial advisor, and that's where the problem comes from, mm-hmm. is that you have these people that that call themselves financial advisors that are really product salespeople, um, like I was in the beginning, and uh, they're looking out for your interest as much as they're looking out for the other person's interest. And I think the way to get away from those people isn't to just say, I distrust the whole industry, so I'm not going to do it, so I'm not going to have an advisor. Think about this. If, if, if I'm going to be great at something, what I learned late in my career when I was a really good advisor was this, was that my clients were all people that could do this themselves and they could do it really well. You know why? Because I was working with super smart people. I work with a woman at Chrysler who negotiated on behalf of Chrysler for, with the IRS. So she clearly knew money. She clearly knew tax code. She had me as her advisor. Why? Because she needed a smart person in her corner so she could do what she did all day to bring home money. 
and make sure that the that that the money uh, went in the place that it was supposed to go. She also uh, uh, there was another guy that I work with who was the head of the minivan platform. Chrysler's known for their minivans. I I worked with the head of that department. I worked with people at Microsoft that were responsible for many of the the platforms that you see at Microsoft. Uh, these people were not stupid. So it isn't idiots who hire financial advisors. It's idiots who hire bad financial advisors. <laughs> and so rather than mistrust the entire industry, I think if you think about yourself as a rock star and you think, if I'm going to be a rock star, how do I find good people in my corner? Now you've reframed the whole discussion, Andy, in a way where you're going to avoid all those idiots and morons. You're going to ask the right questions and you're going to hire the best help to be uh, on your team. I love it. And, and, and I've heard you use this term in the past. I've heard the term a lot. Let's define it for folks. What is a fiduciary and why is that important yeah. for people to know about? A fiduciary is probably the number one question you should ask. And and I hate that term because it's so oblique, right? I mean, what the you're I'm with you. Like, what the hell is this? <laughs> like you think about our you think about not to digress for just a second. This idea of like a 401k. Like, couldn't we have named it like like in in Canada, they call it, you know, and what an RRSP, right? A, reg a registered retirement savings plan, like registered retirement savings plan makes sense. Mm -hmm. We call it a four hundred one k, right? Like the, we let the government brand it, right? <laughs> yeah, like I mean, it's just the IRS code, right, code four hundred one k. Like why wouldn't we, why wouldn't we have a a different name? But anyway, uh, regardless <laughs> of that, so fiduciary is one of those terms. A fiduciary is somebody that that has agreed that they their job is to do things that aren't just suitable for you. We can talk about suitability because um, a lot of product salespeople will sell. Well, uh, I practice suitability standards. They want to answer the question. They'll tell you, well, I practice suitability standards. Something being suitable and then being a fiduciary are two different things. Fiduciary has to do things that they think are in your best interest, not just suitable, but in your best interest. It's funny. There's been a fight lately in Washington where the government tried to try to make it so that whenever anybody was dealing with your retirement plans, the person helping you with your retirement plan had to be a fiduciary. Those have since been knocked back yet on our show, but because they, they brought up all these things, which yeah. are crazy because uh, we've contributors to our show, Len Penzo, who's a weekly contributor to, to stacking Benjamins. He's, he's won best, uh, blogger multiple times, a CBS, a money watch called him best single author blogger before Kiplinger's called him best single author blogger. He was amazed. He's like, really? There are people that can advise me on my, on my, on my retirement plans and they don't have to be a fiduciary. The answer is, Nope, they don't have to be. Yeah. They, they don't have to be. He's like, I always thought that they had to be and they were just morons. Nope. <laughs> uh, so if somebody says that pro everybody has to work under suitability standards, meaning will it not do harm? It doesn't have to do well. It just won't. Is it a suitable product? Can I make an argument that this annuity that you're buying or this permanent life insurance policy that you're buying, uh, that 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 will help you toward your goal? Is it suitable? Hmm. Yes. Is it the best thing? If I'm working under suitability standards, I don't have to answer Doesn't that. Have to be. Wow. If I'm a fiduciary, I have to say at least it ties. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, 
growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing coast fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Let's jump back into our interview. How do these folks get paid? Just to help people understand, you hear the terms assets under management, sales charges, commissions, a lot of this stuff, you know, just boils down to they're getting money in order to sell certain things. Can you, can you break that down for us a little bit? You you always want to know how somebody gets paid, number one, because uh, think about this. If I walk onto a car lot it is a Chevy car lot. The guy's not going to talk about how great the key is. You know, he's going to talk about just Chevys. So, uh, if I know how the person gets paid, even if they're a super nice person, they have to make money Mm -hmm. right early in my career. I sold that product. It went negatively. I had to then go back and sell more product. So, so, uh, there's some sweating going on there at that point in Joe's life. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, but so you don't sweat. What you want to ask is how do I get paid? And there's three different ways. Number way is they can collect fees from you. And that means that you pay them a state, either a stated amount of money or a percentage based on the amount that you have, uh, which a lot of people don't realize that that counts as fee only advisors. A lot of fee only advisors where the fees not stated, it's just a percentage of what they get. So it's either going to be Andy, I'm going to manage your money and it'll be 1% or sometimes even 2% of, of the amount of money that you have uh, under my direct control. Or sometimes it's not that. It's just, hey, if you've got X amount in your 401k, I'm going to bill you based on that amount of money. And that's an annual or, fee, right? It depends. Okay. 
but you want to ask that question. Ah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, for some advisors, that's an annual fee. For some, it's an annual fee that they will collect quarterly, mm -hmm. which means that as things go up and down quarterly, they'll take a quarter of 1%. Let's say if it's 1% fee, uh, sometimes it's monthly. Um, sometimes it is once a year. You'll, you'll write a big fat check one time a year. A lot of times you don't even write a check. If you hand over the funds to this person so that they're working with you. By the way, when you hand over your funds, you're not physically saying, hey, Joe, take my money. What you say is, hey, Joe, place this money with a firm and I'm going to sign a thing that says that you can help me manage it. Mm -hmm. And there's two different ways that they can do that. Uh, they can either either uh, do it on their own. You got to sign a special thing for them to do it on their own and just tell you afterwards. I don't like that one. Yeah. Or they can talk to you first and you give them permission once you've agreed to make the move, to make the move on your behalf, to make it easier for you. Um, and they'll do that through a firm, usually like a Fidelity or a Charles Schwab. So some big name firm that you've heard of. If it isn't a big name firm that you've heard of, I'd be very afraid. <laughs> and the statement should say Fidelity on it or should say a big name firm, LPL Financial or whatever it might be, should say that somewhere on on, uh, on the, the, the statement. So those are the different ways they can get fees. They can also get commissions, so through insurances. Now, you, you normally won't see this commission, but it's there. So as an example, if I sold you a permanent life insurance policy and, and you paid premiums the first year of $200 a month, a lot of the time, the entire first year's premium went to me. So I would get $2,400 for selling you that life insurance policy. Some of these numbers are going to blow you away. Uh, the amount of money that I lost on that one big client mm -hmm. was seventy thousand dollars. I that lost. Was, that was one deal. One deal. One deal. And it was because it was all. He was a really rich guy, and it was all annuities and life insurance. Mm -hmm. Now, in my defense, you got people yelling, "This guy's an idiot trying to sell annuities and life insurance." This guy had annuities that were absolutely crap already. And there's this thing called a 1031 exchange. Now I'm just using your platform to defend my honor, Andy. <laughs> Go for but, they, it. <laughs> but, but he already had these crap annuities. I, I recommended much lower fee annuities. And then he had this permanent life insurance policy that didn't have um, separate accounts inside of it that looked like mutual funds. And he had a lot of money just sitting there earning like 3%. I'm like, why don't we change this life insurance policy so that it has one that will grow more quickly? And the guy was pretty market savvy. <laughs> We got done with all of this stuff. His old advisor then got back involved and his old advisor talked him out of it and huh. said, no, 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 no. You want to keep my keep high crap ones. You wanna, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in hindsight, I mean, in hindsight, I will say mine were better. But remember, I was working under suitability standards. Mine were better. If I had it to do over again, I probably would have recommended we get rid of a lot of that stuff completely. However... I was only an advisor in my second year, didn't know then what I didn't know, which we can talk about whether you hire a new advisor or not. But the, uh, but the second thing was, was that I really wanted to get those, get those fees down for him. And, and it, it, no matter what I did, I was going to get talked out of it because he believed the old advisor more than he believed me. Yeah, that's tough, man. That is tough, especially when you're right. dealing with those charges. Keep going. Keep rocking. Yes. Yep. All right. All right. So that's the second way yeah. is, is commission. So commissions on insurances, you won't see them, but you should ask, do you get a commission on this as you're signing up for your, uh, your, your blood test and stuff? <laughs> uh, by the way, if you get mutual funds with a free blood test, there's some insurance involved. And I heard people do that before. <laughs> because they're about to sell there. you insurance. Is that why? 
Well, they're like, they're like, so this, this insurance policy has mutual funds inside of it. So you should think of this. I've heard this happen. <laughs> you should think of this as mutual funds, uh, uh with a, with a free t- blood test. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> no, you're buying a bunch of insurance. So, uh, uh, is there a commission? And by the way, term policies will have commissions, uh, if it's through an advisor and then mutual funds often have, have commissions, or even if you buy a lot of people hear these sexy terms like exchange traded fund. If you buy an exchange traded fund through an advisor who charges a commission, now there might be a fee to buy that fund, even though the fees inside an exchange traded fund usually are much, much lower. As as time goes by, as time goes by, um, you know, these firms that charge high fees learn what's sexy and what's not. So the term that's sexy right now is exchange traded fund. So what are we seeing now? A bunch of new exchange traded funds that are not cheap, that are not, don't make a lot of sense, but they're making these high fee firms a lot of money just because they're keeping up with the jargon and the industry's always changing, which is scary. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so you started to talk about the fees, not only for the advisors themselves, but Index funds, too. I mean, I'm sorry, not index funds, mutual funds. Yes. Uh, other yes. products still have fees associated with them as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So you've got you've got you you've got fees, mm-hmm. you've commissions, or you have uh, fee based, which means they're mostly fee, but they can still get commissions. Mm-hmm. I was at the end of my career, a fee-based advisor. So as an example, if your family was a client of, of mine, I would tell you, you know what, this is how much insurance you need. You pay me a fee to figure out how much insurance you need, right? Mm-hmm. If, if, if you need some, we figure that out together. And then you and I would agree on the methodology of how I figured out that number. So I would use two different ways, what's called a capital needs analysis, which is you die what's the least amount of insurance you need to cover, to duct tape everything. And then we do this thing called a human life value, where if you died, how much future earnings, how much were you going to have in future earnings? What's your potential? And then how do we cover that for the family, which ends up giving us a field goal, right? The, the, lowest common denominator or this big, huge number you don't want. And then it's up to you to decide where you want to be. So we'd agree that this number was right. That number was right. And then where you want to be. Then if you, if you couldn't cover that or hadn't covered that yet, then we talk about ways to do it. When we cover that, I would send you off to find insurance on your own. And I would quote it through places through me. And I would tell you, if you buy it through me, the bad news is you're giving me a commission. The good news is I'm going to take care of all of this legwork that if you buy it from the other place, um, you're going to have to cover all that legwork yourself uh, because it's not it's just not included in my service because I'm a fee based advisor, not a fully fee advisor. So that makes sense. Okay, well, that gives us a little breakdown on how the fees break down. Um, And we started to talk a little bit about, you know, some of these sexy terms that are coming out, ETFs and index funds, target date funds, you know, as people, you know, we see the surge of popularity and things that sort of make things a little bit more simple with index funds and target date funds. Can can a lot of this be done DIY if people are, are interested in it? Or do you think there's some dangers with that? Can you talk about that a little bit? No, you can do it all yourself. Yeah. You can absolutely do do everything yourself. And and it, and, and that's when I caution people about advisors is that if an advisor is going to take it away from you, it's the wrong advisor. If, if if you walk into an advisor's office and all they want to talk about is big terms and jargon and how the market's going to do tomorrow and their prognostication and their that's a bunch of baloney. Mm-hmm. 
I think what a good advisor does is sits down with you and is like a uh, if it's you and your spouse and the advisor, it's a third person in the room who's facilitating a conversation you probably wouldn't have had on your own, number one. So there's value there, getting you and your spouse to talk about stuff that you might not have talked about. Number two, systematizing that discussion so that it actually happens instead of getting caught up in the family. And number three, being somebody who's on your team, but that disagrees with you. I like these uh, kitchen shows and I love Gordon Ramsay because he comes into these restaurants and at first he's a complainer, but notice the second half of the show, he's on their team, right? He's a smart guy who knows what he's doing, but he's got the same end goal that the, that the restauranteur has. He wants them to be better than they were before. So, um, so I think that's what a good advisor is that says, no, you know what, Andy, you're wrong. I, I look at this a whole different way, which is over here. Or I might not even say you're wrong. I might say, you know, there's two ways to look at this. You look at it this way. Here's another way to look at it. And then you might go, oh, you know what? I'm sticking with my way. Or you might say, oh, you know what? I never even considered that. So hmm. Uh, to that point, back to your back to your first question, there are places online, there are financial calculators online you can use to build the plan. Uh, once you know what the plan is and you know how much money you need to save, then it's pretty easy then to say, okay, based on the amount I need to save and the rate of return I need to save, there are tools to help you with your budget and to see if you can save the right amount. And there are tons of resources like this podcast, right? <laughs> to, to, to help you through, uh, knowing the right amount to save. But then on the other side, on uh, the rate of return piece, once you know the rate of return, it's fairly easy to go look and see which types of assets have done that rate of return before. And then to only have to get educated on those instead of the whole, but I, I think people freak out because they think it's a big wide world of knowledge. And certainly it is, but you don't have to know all that. If you start with the end in mind, you can just figure out which, few products are for you and then figure out which ones are the good ones or the bad ones and go invest in those. You don't need an advisor. Yeah. Um, but well, the bad news is your, your dad, and my dad were in the car industry and, uh, I could build a car. I'm a smart guy. Uh, I prefer to buy one because I can do my stuff much, much, much better mm -hmm. than spending all my day building a car. Yeah. And, and, and that's where the opportunity is. If, if you find a really badass financial advisor mm -hmm. who doesn't take it away from you and helps you streamline it, I think you get there much, much quicker. And I'm a guy that's not in the industry anymore. Like people are like, oh, you have an agenda. No, I don't. I'm not in the business anymore. That's why this conversation is great. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I, and I hear you. We want to find a coach. We want to find a teacher. We want to find an agent, like you said, and not a salesperson. So that's the distinction. I, I, I think so. And, and if people don't want to DIY it and find somebody to help them that has this heart, what, what's like a good resource for people to check out uh, to maybe find somebody in their area that will maybe find a fiduciary, find somebody that's out for their best interest? The, per, the best person, I think, is your, your, your friends who are doing well. Who do they trust? I know I had a few. I had a client named Paul that Paul didn't trust anybody. And once Paul became my client, I can't tell you the number of smart clients I got from Paul. <laughs> and all they would do is they'd come in and they'd say, well, Paul trusts you. So, uh, uh what do we do? And it was funny because Paul did all the selling, <laughs> Paul did all the selling quote selling for me, uh, on those people. But, um, so if you've got somebody who's has a situation like yours, but they're doing well, 
uh, I would ask them who they trust. That's number one. I wouldn't stop there though, because as you know, from, from, and I know this from listening to your show, there's a big difference between conspicuous wealth and real wealth, right? So, so don't trust somebody that looks like they're doing well. (laughs) That, that there's a totally, there's a big difference between people that look like they're doing well, people who really are. But if, if your gut says, you know, I think this person's pretty savvy, that that's step one. Step number two, uh, there's, uh, there's a, um, there's a group called FINRA, which is this regulatory agency that oversees um, financial advisors and makes sure that they're kind of playing by the rules. FINRA has a thing called broker check. And broker check, every advisor, if, if they're licensed, has is on broker check. So number one, if your advisor is not on broker check, you need to ask about the licenses because you want to have somebody that's licensed because those licenses are protections for you. If they're on broker check, all that broker check is going to show is complaints. Hmm. Now, an advisor having a complaint is not a death, shouldn't be a death sentence, I don't think. Um, and, and I'll tell you another personal story. I had a complaint against me. I don't even know if I'm still on broker check. I haven't checked lately. Uh, but I used to be. And if you went there, you'd see a complaint against me. Um and I'm not allowed to respond to the complaint. I'm not allowed to to talk about it. But what's great is if you go on broker check, you see Joe, you walk into his office f- for the meeting or you call him up, you go, Joe, I just checked broker check and you've got this thing. So what's the deal with these people that you, you had this annuity thing and they complain about an annuity? And the answer is, yeah, I did. And the frustrating thing for me about my broker check record, it's, is that I'm the one that told them it was bad. I told them it was, it was horrible. I told them they should get out of it. And their attorney advised them to list me on the, huh. on the, on the action, uh. which, uh, which was, which was horrible. I'm like, really, really? I'm, I'm the one that pulled back the curtain and said, Hey, this stuff is not what it should be. That's but you know what? 16 years in the business being as out in the public as I was, Andy, one, one complaint. I'm happy to to discuss that with anybody, right? Um, and 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 look what happened right there. We just had a discussion that was only because of broker check, and it's not about right or wrong. It's about how many discussions can I have to figure out is this really the person for me? So some people might still say, you know, oh, Joe, you wouldn't have been the person for me because one person could. Okay, that's great. That's a great resource. That's a great resource for people to check. Absolutely. Uh, So FINRA, F-I-N-R-A? Yes. Yeah. FINRA and then look for broker check. We built a, uh, we built a quick link. Um, and you may do this too, Andy. Uh, we built one that's stackingbenjamins.com forward slash broker check. Oh, perfect. Uh, and if you put that in, you go there. So, uh, uh, you might want to do the same for everybody that listens to this show. Absolutely. Very cool. Well, obviously, you know, a big part of getting with a financial advisor, yes, they're going to help you, but it's important to educate yourself as well before you go in there. So you know what you are investing in. So yes. did, did you have a book or do you have a book that you recommend to people before they get into investing, whether it's retirement or just investing in general? Dude, I'm going to give you a bunch of books because <laughs> I right. love this. I can talk about books. I can talk about apps. <laughs> uh, my favorite well-rounded book about financial advisors in general is by the guy who's been the number one advisor in the country, uh, I think on two different occasions, Barron's uh, Magazine talks about this, a guy named Rick Edelman has, has, is a, is a longtime guy, has a huge firm, Edelman and Associates. Uh, Rick, Rick's book, The Truth About Money is my favorite 
just even-handed financial book about how stuff works. I really like it because of the fact that I learned about disability coverage from Rick Edelman. I learned about why it's important. I learned how to talk about it from him. Um, I learned about why, you know, even though commission salespeople, I want to stay away from why it's not the end of the world and how fees sometimes come out in the wash. Like it's very, it tells both sides of the story. And I absolutely love the truth about money, I think is in like, it's third or fourth printing because so many people have bought it. The book's huge. Uh, my favorite financial books lately that I've read, I love this book by Scott Trench that came out last year called Set for Life. Uh, he's he's a Bigger Pockets uh, guy. He's a Bigger Pockets uh, chief financial officer. Uh, he's a young, aggressive saver. And he talks about how to save your first $25,000, how to save your first $100,000, and how to just be a bajillionaire. He's incredibly intense. He's not for everybody. I gave my son this book for Christmas, and he read it in like four days because oh. my son's that same dude. Yeah. My son is an engineer, uh, which is what I totally should have been. <laughs> but um, I love Aaron Lowry's book, Broke Millennial. Like that's a that's a great resource just on handling your money well. Um, those are those are probably three of yeah, my great. of my favorites. I've yeah. read Aaron's book. I have not read Rick Edelman's book, and I've seen Scott speak in person. Very, uh, like you said, intense, exciting guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very passionate. Uh, so I'll have to I, check that one out as well. I love to play board games here in my mom's basement where we do our show. And I can just imagine playing a board game with Scott Trench. Like he's the dude that would flip the board, right? He would totally flip the board if he was and Scott, if you're listening, I love you, man. But you would you would flip the board. We'll have to send him that way. Right. <laughs> well, cool, Joe. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to spend uh, with us today. Where is the best place for people to follow you and the best place for people to check out the award winning Stacking Benjamin show? Oh, it's believe it or not, it's called stackybedjamins.com. And uh, you can check out the show. I know, I know, it's <laughs> it, it is weird. Uh, uh, three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We're, as you know, Andy, uh, from being on your show, we have great people like Andy on. We, uh, our show is, uh, is where here you teach people such great stuff. Our goal is to never teach anybody anything ever. We, our, our show is based on the science of play. It is completely meant to be financial surround sound, not meant to teach. My goal is to introduce you to cool people like Andy. And then if you want to know more, then go find Andy. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, um, the Stacky Benjamin show. I'm on Twitter is average Joe money. And, uh, we have a Facebook page, which you can find just by putting in stacking Benjamins. Uh, if it says stacking Benjamins, it says that you find it in Wealthyville. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's totally us. Is that a, is that next to Texarkana? Uh, where you are? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wealth, yeah. Wealthy bill right next door. <laughs> no, it's specifically inside mom's basement. It's oh, over there. there. Go. In the, there we go. Right. Okay, cool. Separate address. Nice. <laughs> right. All right, Joe. Well, thanks so much for being with us today. Appreciate it, man. Thanks a ton, Andy. This was great. I thought Joe said it best when he used that, uh, car building analogy. I could build a car, but do I really want to spend my time doing that? The same goes with investing for your retirement. Are you going to spend the time to dive into your retirement needs? If not, it's probably not a bad idea to get with an advisor. But let's make sure we do some of the things that Joe talked about on the show today. Number one, seek out a fiduciary. This is somebody who's going to work on your behalf. 
not only are they going to work on your behalf, they have a legal duty to act in your best interest. If you're going to go down the path of working with a financial advisor, I would highly recommend getting with a fiduciary, as Joe said. Number two, truly understand the fees associated with their service. If you do not understand what you're getting into, it's, it's kind of like buying anything. If you were to go out to the store and not really understand the price for the product that you're paying for, why would you buy the product? It's the same thing for working with an advisor. Make sure you understand what assets under management means. Make sure you understand what the commission structure is so that you know what you're paying because... I'm saying from personal experience, I went into it blind, man. I went in and I met with a, a financial advisor and uh, it was recommended that I do this, recommended that I work with this person, but I didn't understand how they were getting paid and I paid for it, man. <laughs> Not only with subpar advice, but I paid for it with the fees. So go into it, eyes wide open and ask those questions. It's okay to ask after you've met with this person or meet with this person, say, hey, what is this going to cost me? How are you getting paid? I need to understand how this is going to affect me in the long term. Because the higher the fees, the harder it is to make make a decent uh, return. And then uh, number three, use that um, service that Joe talked about, FINRA Broker Check. If you've got somebody that you're interested in, go on that website and see if there's any history of complaints or just background on their education information. It's a great resource, FINRA Broker Check. So I'll put that one in the show notes. So Find a fiduciary, understand those fees, and utilize a service like FINRA Broker Check to uh, get the background. If you think you want to go it alone, that's okay too. Educate yourself and keep it simple, though. You know, for the education side of things, read some investing books. You know, Joe mentioned some great ones in the show. I'll put those in the show notes. Listen to podcasts like Joe's. Or, you know, simply just talk to people who are doing well. And Joe, Joe and I joked about this a little bit. There's the appearance of doing well, you know, the flashy cars and the flashy watches and things like that. And the people who are actually building their wealth, building their net worth and uh, making a difference. So try, you got to obviously balance that difference. You can also get into communities uh, with other like-minded families who are trying to win for their money. Those can be found on you know Facebook or just, I guess, personally in your community outside of social media. On the simplifying the si- side of things, you know, keeping uh, educating yourself is one thing and then keeping it simple is another. Keep those fees low. Diversify your assets and automate your contributions. Those three simple things can be a great way to build wealth. I'm going to say them again. Keep your fees low, diversify your assets, and automate your contributions. That is an excellent place to start if you are going to be going it alone and keeping it simple. Whether you decide to work with an advisor or take the planning on yourself, make sure you educate yourself. Investing in something you don't understand or the fees associated with it only leads to trouble. Now it's time to announce the Money Master of the Week. Nick from St. Louis, Missouri called in to share an incredibly heartwarming story. Take it away, Nick. Hey, Andy. This is Nick. My family and I live in St. Louis, Missouri, and I've been listening to your show for just about a year now. You and I have a very similar family dynamic. We have a a three-and-a-half-year-old son and a nearly six-year-old daughter, 
and our daughter is a Zoe as well. I'm really calling to say thank you to you, and more importantly, thank you to your daughter, Zoe, for posting your video about Charity Water. After viewing the video, I showed it to my daughter, Zoe, and without any prompts, she immediately went to her piggy bank, grabbed it, and emptied out every penny, and all of her money totaled $4.13. My wife and I told her that we would match every penny that she gave, and in the future, if she wanted to give to charity, we would do the same thing. After emptying her piggy bank, she immediately went to her library of books that she has in her room and grabbed about 20 books and told us that she wanted to give those books to kids that didn't have any. I'm really proud of her for realizing that there are kids in this world that don't have everything she does. So thank you so much, Andy, for getting our family financially fit. You're doing a great job. This message made my day when it came in. Seriously, guys, I was having an incredibly rough week at work. We were having some long days. We were working on a a really big proposal. I did not have a lot of family time. And Nick's message came in and it really lifted my spirits. I absolutely love that Nick is working with his daughter, Zoe, to build up his family's practice of giving. He's taking time to have special moments with his family where they can experience the true joy of giving together as a family, as a unit. Super cool. I came across Charity Water from an interview I heard on one of my favorite podcasts, Afford Anything with Paula Pant. The story of the founder, Scott Harrison, was incredibly moving for me. His mission to bring clean water to the world and ensure that 100% of the donations go to that mission is something that I could definitely get behind. I will place the link in the show notes for Paula's interview with him because it was a great one, really revealing on who this man is and his passion towards this topic. Now, the video that Nick mentioned specifically was a video with a six-year-old girl named Nora, and I'll, again, share that one in the show notes. But here's the audio so you can get an understanding of where we're coming from with this story. Dear Charity Water... I saw your video on my dad's iPhone. I decided to give some of my money I have earned to give clean water to people who need clean water. I do not want people to die because of water. Love, Nora Shana Jackson, age six, first grade. Nora doesn't see differences in people, and um, from a very early age, she's been very social and wants to be in on the action. Nora is full of life and full of love. She uh, wants to help people and animals, and she also wants to live life to the fullest. I think it was my brother actually shared on Facebook the video that kind of tells the story, you know, of the founder and and uh, his his story and why he started Charity Water and makes what makes Charity Water different. She was really affected by, you know, seeing the little girls carrying the cans and especially she was affected by the thought that women were breaking their backs, you know, getting dirty water. I think it's really bad to live with bad water. 
Charity Water has been traveling around the whole world to make wells and give people access to clean water. When I heard that we could maybe donate some of our money, I wanted to donate some of my money. So one night, I actually made that decision, sitting in my bed before I fell asleep, and I was like, should I or should I keep my money or should I give some away? So that I was like, I think I should give some away. And the following morning, Nora came out for breakfast and had her uh, little wallet with her, and she pulled out money and set it on the counter, and, and she said, this is what I want to give to Charity Water. If everybody gave $8.15, there would probably be more than 1,000 um, wells in India, Ethiopia. A small act can mean the world to someone else. I gave $8.15 because I wanted people to stop dying. What if you gave $8.15 too? Parents, if you want to have a really special moment with your children this week, take some time to watch this spring video that's mentioned in the video, as well as the Nora video that um, Nick and I both have chatted about here. I hope it gives you as much joy as it did for me and my Zoe and Nick and his Zoe. Check out all those videos and links in the show notes of this show at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 79. Nick and Zoe, thank you so much for sharing this incredible moment with us and congratulations for being our Money Masters of the Week. Do you have a recent family financial victory that you want to share on this show? I would absolutely love to hear from you. It could be all sorts and shapes and sizes. (laughs) Net worth wins, debt-free crushing stories, great moments with your family or your daughter, your son. Anyway, email me at andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com or leave me a voicemail at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. I would love to hear from you. Before we head out for the day, I wanted to let you all know that I've started a Facebook community with a few of my family-focused personal finance friends called Thriving Families. If you're on Facebook and want to have a community of like-minded parents who are looking to strengthen their family tree, please check it out. I was just talking about having a community to talk to about these types of things, so this fits in really well with today's topic and our interview with Joe. And before you um, come into the community, you'll have to answer a few questions before you're admitted, but it is free and we're growing. We're close to a hundred members now. I'm, and uh, personally, I am an active member. So if you have any questions for me or the other financial rock stars that I've partnered with, this is a great place to be. So please check it out. Go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash FB group. I've made it easy for you. It's called Thriving Families within Facebook, but I just figured I'd give you guys a quick link, marriagekidsandmoney.com slash FB group. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from George Patton. A good plan violently executed now is better than a perfect plan next week. It's time to invest for our family's future, everyone. Carpe diem. Carpe diem. 